Hello, this is Mary Kate Grady, host of In the Father's Hands program. We welcome you all to our program today, and I know it's unusual. I'm not typically the one to introduce the program. Our good friend Jerry Gilmartin usually introduces us, but today we're having him on as the guest. So I'm in a little bit of a different role, and I get to introduce the program. So thank you all for joining us today. And our guest today is Jerry Gilmartin. Um, he he uh, does the JMJ Catholic Radio recording many programs. He records my program as well as a few others. Um, and Jerry was a bit surprised a few weeks ago when I invited him to be on as a guest, and I'm very happy he agreed to come on with us. Just a little bit about Jerry. He was born and raised in Archibald, Pennsylvania, at a time a small coal tiny, towning coal mining town to devout Catholic parents. His father died when he was six and his sister only three, but thanks to his dear mother, he received a solid grounding in the faith beginning with the Sisters of the Immaculate Heart of Mary, the Baltimore Catechism, later the Jesuits at the University of Scranton, where Jerry graduated in 1959 with majors in psychology and philosophy. He did graduate work at Fordham University in the Bronx in New York, and later through Cornell University, was soon followed by two years of military service and then by working careers in human resources and as a psychological services associate for the state of Pennsylvania. Jerry retired in 2001 and in that same year published the first edition of his book, The Seven-Step Reason to be Catholic. A second edition published in 2008 was featured on Jeanette Binkovic's program on EWTN. The book was republished last year, 2022, with several articles of his, and it's listed on his website, sevenstepcatholic.com. For 10 years, Jerry was the host of In Love of Christ program on JMJ Catholic Radio. He and his dear wife, Marie, live happily in a small Pocono town, their lives brightened by the occasional visits of their two daughters, their husbands, and two granddaughters. And I know Jerry's pushed the go button, so we're good to go with the program. And before we jump into our interview with Jerry, um, I would like to mention that JMG Catholic Radio is embarking on a wonderful project of purchasing a new station um, to spread the gospel message. So please keep that in your prayers. And also, we really could use your financial assistance for that. Um, If you're able to help us in any way, you can go ahead and send checks into or write to JMJ Catholic Radio, P.O. Box 851, Pittston, Pennsylvania, 18640. Or you can also call them at 570-287-4670. And again, we thank you so much for all your prayers and support. Um, and as I always do every week, um, I'd like to open the Gospel of St. John, Chapter 10, and read where Jesus tells us, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, and no one shall snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this promise, and we ask the Holy Spirit to remind us of these words of yours and this promise, and even at times when we don't feel like you're holding us, that we'll remember and trust how very close you are to us, and we thank you, Heavenly Father. Amen. And also, for all of you, this coming Sunday is Pentecost Sunday. It's a powerful feast day in the Church, and so... 
stay close to the Holy Spirit and never be shy to ask for his intercession, especially um, to help us remember all the good things that God has promised us. And so um, on to our guest today, Jerry, thank you so much for coming on the program. <clears throat> thank you, Mary Kate, for that surprise invitation. <laughs> oh, no, we're, we're so happy to have you, Jerry. And thank you for that kind introduction. I really appreciate that. Oh, absolutely. And if you wouldn't mind, Jerry, as I ask all my guests, if you wouldn't mind sharing um, some verses of Scripture that, that have special meaning to, for you. Yes, and there are several. Actually, uh, let's continue uh, in St. John, St. John's Gospel, in this case, John 3.16, which is uh, beloved by many, many, and, and uh, this is the one that's on placards and the ball games and such. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So uh, there's a lot in those few words. Uh, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son. The the idea that, that that word gave has a, such a deep meaning that it just blows my mind when I really think about it. He gave his son uh, for a 33-year absence, really, <laughs> maybe not completely, but uh, during which he would be persecuted, uh, re- reviled in so many ways, and have so many challenges, finally ending in his... Uh, uh, sacrificial death on the cross for us, and the Father and Jesus said, "The Father and I are one." So when I think about it, oh, wait a minute, you know, in, in, a, in a way far more profound that we can even imagine that oneness. Uh, what did that mean for the suffering of, in some sense, the Father? You know. So, uh, and then further, uh, <clears throat> whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That word believes uh, is, uh, at its root, uh, love. It, it believe, we, we, we talk about beloved. And uh, so, so that whoever, whoever loves him should not perish, but have eternal life. So, uh, and that kind of takes us over to uh, uh, John 3.36. It's just just 20 verses later. And these are the words of uh, John the Baptist. And uh, so, he who believes in the Son has eternal life, He who does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God rests upon him. So, I think it's important to bring those two verses together so that we understand that, that, uh, uh, I'm I'm just afraid that so many people think, oh, I I love Jesus, John 3.16, I I love Jesus and and, uh, I believe in him. And so I I can uh, pretty much, I mean, I know I haven't lived a very good life, and right now I'm in, I'm in, in deeply offending him. But you know, it's, with my 
my girlfriend and I were sitting on rent and whatever, and uh, I'm sure Jesus will understand, and he's going to invite me into heaven anyway, because God loves us unconditionally, right? The <laughs> problem is that word unconditional love is nowhere in the Gospels. Everlasting love is, but not unconditional. So this needs to be, uh, I think we need to keep in, in, in mind uh, the words of, uh, the clarifying words of John the Baptist. Uh, and, and right, and you know what, Jerry, in every relationship we have with any person, there's boundaries and there's expectations, you know? And so when it comes to God, I think it's the same thing, that, you know, God does love us with an everlasting love, but he asks things of us, too, because we're in a relationship with him, and every relationship, you know, both sides give to each other, you know? Um, sometimes we, we want to take from God all the time, and we're not willing to give to him. Exactly right. Exactly right. And uh, I was thinking, too, about uh, uh, where in the... Uh, again, in John, John, this is John 6, verses 53 to 57. And Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. And just imagine the apostles are standing there with the disciples and, and their probably jaws drop and they're thinking, whoa, is he going to at some point say, and, you know, give us his forearm and say, okay, you take a bite now. <laughs> what, 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 did, what did he just say? And everybody's stunned except Peter, uh, even then, uh, who composes himself and says, and Jesus says, you know, everybody walks away except the apostles. And Jesus says, will you leave me too? And and Peter finally says, well, Lord, to whom should we go? You you have the words of eternal life. But do you think that really uh, lessened the anxiety of the apostles in that way? I, I don't think so. But then at the Last Supper, Jesus took bread and, and blessed it, and he broke it, and he gave it to, to the disciples, and he said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And having a much better idea of what Jesus was talking about, the apostles must have sighed a, a great sigh of relief, I would think. It's like, okay, oh, I don't understand how this can be, but he said it, I believe it. Mm -hmm. And then, but how many times uh, and, you know, have I, many of us, just taken the Eucharist with little thought about those words of Jesus? But a week or so ago on Twitter, I saw a photo of one of several, or maybe many, Eucharistic miracles. And a host had fallen to the floor during Mass and had been placed in a little cup of water. Uh, and several days later, it looked like a bit of bloody flesh. You've probably seen these on the internet, uh, but in, in at least in one, I think several cases, that tissue was examined by a tissue expert who was told nothing about it in advance, and he identified it as tissue from the heart 
of someone who must have died an extremely agonized death. Wow. Wow, for sure. Mm. So, since then, you know, when I receive, I'm thinking, oh, you know, this is the body and blood of Christ. So, yeah, thank you for that reminder, Jerry. It's it's such a it's like the most powerful aspect of our faith, you know. And wow. if I might add, I went to a first communion this past Saturday, and I remember sitting at it, thinking, "Oh, I'm so happy I was invited, not just to share in the special day with the two girls that I knew making their first communion, but um, kind of reliving that moment with them." I thought about my first Holy Communion and listening to the priest explain to the children about what an important day that was in their life, I thought, wow, like, I get to receive Holy Communion every day, you know? And the one little girl said to me, oh, I'm going to keep a journal um, and put check marks down the next to every day that I receive Holy Communion. And I thought, wow, that's, like, that's awesome. Just her recognizing the importance of, like, this is our life. You know, receiving the Holy Eucharist, like, there's not much better you can get. And how could you, how could we have a God that would let us get so close to him as that? It's, it's, it's astounding, you know. So, thank uh, you for sharing those verses on the, on the Holy Eucharist. You're welcome. And, uh, I'll make one, more, one comment, if I may, about uh, uh, First Holy Communion in regard to uh, a co-worker of mine a while back. And, and uh, she uh, was at, in church and having taken her little daughter Mary uh, for confession and preparation for First Holy Communion. And so uh, uh, her mom is sitting in the back, you know, back of the church, and little Mary goes up to, uh, to the front of the church and, and, uh, and uh, makes her first confession. And she comes running back to to her mom, and, and uh, she, she said, well, well, Mary, Mary, how, how was it? She said, oh, it was great, Mommy. You know, uh, I told the priest all my sins. I said, oh, that was good. And uh, she said, and I told them yours, too, Mommy. <laughs> 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 and she's like, what? <laughs> she said, oh, well, I, I, would, I wouldn't want to go to heaven without you. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I just, I just smile. Uh, like the, the innocence of of a, of a child, uh, but yeah. but the belief that it's just plain total, and uh, as it as we get older, we kind of it kind of fades a bit from us. But it should not. It should mm, not. Mm-hmm. Uh, confession is so so important, and, and we, we need to remember to, to do that. But anyway, I, I'm uh, going on here. You you, uh, you go ahead. That's okay, yeah. So, I, you know, Jerry, I always like to um, uh, mention to people or ask them on the program about how they feel like the Heavenly Father has held them in His hand throughout their life. And, and actually, I think the introduction kind of shared a bit about that. You're talking about the faith of your family, um, the edu- Catholic education that you received. Um, you know, God's, God's been kind of there all along trying to guide you and speak to you and um, you were drawn into JMJ Catholic Radio, and, you know, God's the hound of heaven for you, Jerry, as, as he is for all of us <laughs> if we're willing to let him be. And so I, I did get to mention in the introduction 
um, that when you retired, which is funny, Jerry, because a lot of times when people retire, they get busier than ever. So, and I, that might be the case for you. I'm not sure, but um, you know, when you retired in 2001, that year was published the first edition of your book. And I wanted to ask you, um, why did you begin writing that book? Yeah. Uh, well, I grew up at a time when the gospel was preached in all its fullness, and. Uh, back then, before the Second Vatican Council in the early 1960s, there were great numbers of vocations for the priesthood and religious life, and few Catholics conscious of any mortal sin would even think of receiving Holy Communion without going to confession. And then, in uh, 1963, I was on military leave, and uh, I arrived in Rome the day Pope John XXIII died. And the Sistine Chapel was closed for the conclave, but the basilica was open. And there, in the center aisle, was the tiered seating of the Second Vatican Council. And above a side altar, Michelangelo's Pieta, the body of the crucified Jesus in the arms of his afflicted mother. And a few years later, uh, married and to my dear wife Marie, I attended an orientation for CCD instructors in our parish. And uh, our pastor looked at me and he said, Jerry, forget what you learned at the, univers at the University of Scranton. The church has changed. Only later, as the free fall of Catholic faith and practice became evident, as it surely is now, uh, did I understand the significance of his words and of, what, and of what I had seen in Rome. The so-called spirit of Vatican II, not the letter, had changed the church in many ways, as I would later write in my books, not for the better. Mm. And so I found a great moral and spiritual support in those days through the Curcio movement of the Scranton Diocese. And locally, listeners can find them on Facebook under the Diocese of Scranton Curcio Movement uh, title. And that Curcio support continued in later years when my company transferred me to the Bridgeport, Connecticut Diocese, and four years after that to the Diocese of Syracuse. And by, by 1994, when I began working as a psychological services associate for the state of Pennsylvania, I had begun to write articles that later became the first edition of my, of my book, as you said, The Seven-Step Reason to be Catholic, and published, as you say, in 2001. So the, the title there, Jerry, of your book, The Seven-Step Reason to be Catholic, what are those seven steps? Uh, well, uh, let me just kind of read... Yeah, let me just kind of read them... Uh, uh, and then uh, maybe we'll go back and uh, comment on, on some of them. Uh, the first is, uh, and by the way, people can find these on my website. They can copy them. Very, very uh, simple way to evangelize. Uh, anyway, uh, step number, uh, the first step, uncensored science points to a creator. Number two, only Jesus had a resurrection. Number three, history and martyrs affirm the Gospels. Number four, 
Jesus founded only one church. Number five, Jesus commissioned only the apostles. Their successors, Catholic bishops. And number seven, there's no biblical escape clause. Mm. And uh, that constitutes part one of the book, about 150 pages or so, providing details about the seven steps. Um, for example, uh, uh, well, <laughs> I'll mention that uh, one uh, prospective publisher, uh, I, I sent in my manuscript, and uh, mm -hmm. then I called them a while, back, a while later, and, they, and, and they, I said, uh, I said, um, they said, Oh, you drill deep. I'm thinking, oh, that sounds good. Uh, and then I said, so you'll publish the book? And they said, no. <laughs> so I went, mm. what? Okay. So apparently the, uh, the drilling deep is, is not what appeals to the masses, at least uh, their, their perspective, their customers. Mm. But drilling deep, uh, at least a little bit below the surface, uh, is... Very important, especially right now, when yeah. uh, we, we try to mention something about Jesus or the Gospels, and we are just shouted down, and uh, to the point where we can begin to think, well, wait a minute, you know, maybe there's something, maybe maybe I'm all, all off off the off track here. Maybe there's something to these these people that, to these objections that are uh, generally unspoken. They just say, uh, you know, I'm you know just quiet. I don't want to hear what you say. But, right, so right. it's good to know a little bit uh, about some of the uh, particulars uh, behind the uncensored science point to a, points to a creator. You know, it's just remarkable what is overlooked. Mm. Kind of a, yeah, make, make a comment or two about this ridiculous uh, explanation. And then godless evolution, you know, and again... Uh, Oh, yes, there's no God of evolution explains everything. Oh, really? So it doesn't hurt to learn, know a little bit about the Cambrian explosion of, of uh, phyla of so many, many different kinds that, that just kind of belies the possibility of, of evolution, as the, of godless evolution, and so many more things. I don't want to take up too much of the program with that, but... Uh, yeah. No, well, thank you for giving us kind of a little, um, you know, like a little brief about the book. And you know, definitely anybody that's out there, check out the website, sevenstepcatholic.com, and that's the number seven. Um, and check that out. You know, in this day and age, Jerry, as you mentioned, um, we really need to know our faith and read up about it. Um, it's a great time of confusion. Yeah. And even for people really grounded in practicing their faith, we need to we need to kind of really be in our A game, I think, Jerry, with like um, knowing our, like you know the sacramental life of the church, going to mass, confession, and prayers, because ultimately, who the one that's going to keep us in the church and the reason why we stay in the church is because of Jesus. So we need to spend the majority of our time focusing on Him, but He also, I believe, wants us to know and study our faith. Um, because the bombardment's constant, and there's so much confusion. Even people that really love their faith um, can get, you know, maybe easily sidetracked by people's arguments and discussions. So I think it's really good to take the opportunity to read these books. People have 
Um, you know, you studied philosophy when you were in college, Jerry, you have a background in that, and so just an understanding of how to speak to people and knowing what kind of arguments people come to you with, you know. Let, 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 I know we don't have much more time in the program, but let me just comment on uh, something really important. Uh, in the years since the Second, Second Vatican Council, a great many Catholics have left the Church without really understanding that they were leaving the one church Jesus founded and promised to be with always. And in particular, about the Gospels. Uh, there's a, so a lot of doubt has kind of crept into, you know, did Jesus, did, did, are the Gospels really authentic and did the evangelists really write them? And uh, so let me, let me uh, kind of uh, underscore what St. Irenaeus said about the Gospels. And St. Irenaeus was taught by uh, Bishop Polycarp, who was martyred, rather than deny what he'd been taught about, the, taught about Christ by John the Apostle. And uh, so think about that. This is high, high credibility for what Irenaeus tells us about who wrote those Gospels. Let me click, if, if I have time to, uh, to read it, maybe I do. Anyway, cut me off if I don't. Okay, uh, yeah. go ahead and read that. Matthew also issued a written gospel among the Hebrews in their own dialect while Peter and Paul were preaching at Rome and laying the foundations of the church. After their departure, Mark, the disciple and interpreter of Peter, did also hand on to us in writing what had been preached by Peter. Luke, also the companion of Paul, recorded in a book the gospel preached by him. And afterwards, John, the disciple of the Lord, who also had leaned upon his breast, did himself publish a gospel during his residence at Ephesus in Asia. So, and people, uh, you know, doubt uh, the, the, the gospels, uh, and that's kind of becoming, there's actually a widely published theory a widely popular theory that says, oh, no, we don't think so. Uh, we think they're written anonymously. Don't believe it, because you can just go to uh, the, in the Internet, you can find what Aaron said, you know, that I just quoted, and then you can ask this doubter about Aaron Well, how do, you, how, do you, how do we dismiss what he said? And that person will be unable to explain. Now, Jerry, if anybody has more questions for you on, regarding this topic um, or about your book, is there a way that they, can they get a hold of you through your website or through an email or? Yes, my email is jdgilmartin at outlook.com. And I welcome any, any comments, any thoughts from, uh, from uh, folks who might, might have further questions. Wonderful. And then also, Jerry, I mentioned earlier, too, I invite you all um, to look into um, what Jerry had said about the Curcio movement. That's spelled C-U-R-S-I-L-L-O. I know Jerry was really involved with that, and so check that movement out as well. Yeah. Jerry, I, I hate to cut you off, but we're winding down with our program here. Um, God bless you all. Thank you so much again, Jerry, for coming on. And thank you, Mary-Kate. Much, much appreciated, and God bless you, too.